Hello and welcome to the RPG Academy podcast. We are here tonight for a review episode looking at Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft, the newest 5e hardback supplement from Wizards of the Coast. Joining me tonight is Tom Cantwell. Tom is the regular co-host of these review podcasts. He's also the co-host of our Redux family, faculty meeting episodes, uh, the host of our show and tell shows, and the GM of the RPG Academy Presents Ghosts of Saltmarsh live stream. Yes. Tom, say hello to everyone. Hello, everyone. Yes. All those things that Michael just said. Except I, I'm only the host of the RPG Academy Presents Ghosts of Saltmarsh when my players show up. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's a recent wound yeah, I've just reopened. Yeah, at least. My, my, my just, so you have some history, so far to my inside jokes. My players decided that they were more important things came up last night, and they weren't able to play, and I am still super salty. So okay, I'm letting I leave? That, this feels... I'm just going to... Yeah, yeah. yeah Michael was cool. He was cool. But I'm letting them know in every single media that I am ever a part of <laughs> from now on. So anyway, yeah, that's me. Fantastic. And also joining us tonight as our special guest co-host is Lisa Penrose. Lisa is the brand manager of Dungeon Masters Guild, a YouTube content creator, self-professed tabletop horror enthusiast. Uh, you might know her from Tales from the Mist, The Haunting of Good Society, or Requiem uh, for a Cluet. That's how you say it. Yay! Wow, I got that right in one. Lisa, say hello to everyone. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to be here. We are excited to have you. Uh, before we jump into the review, I want to make sure everyone understands we did get reviews copies sent to us, uh, each of us from Wizards of the Coast. So thank you very much to those uh, folks for doing that because it's it's awesome and we love it. Uh, so Tom, take it away, sir. Yeah. So okay. So you all know I love Ravenloft, and it's it's been waiting for this book for so long. But before we really dive in, I wanted to ask you all a question. Okay, and I'll give my answer too. So we'll start with Michael. All right. So Michael. What's your history with Ravenloft? I have, like, no history with okay. Ravenloft. So, again, I've been playing for a very long time. Started back in Redbox. I played through all the editions. So I know about Ravenloft through osmosis. You know, I've, I've heard about the, the horrors of Castle Ravenloft and Strahd and, you know, the Domains of Dread and the Mists. But I have never ran a game of it and i've only played one i actually would have said i played it none but i actually remembered i was a guest on how we roll podcast one okay. time so i played one singular session that was sort of like a drop-in character so it wasn't really connected to a lot like i don't know how it was connected to the larger picture so i am pretty much a newborn babe all of this is really new to me okay. though i will say that i have heard some pun intended horror stories about some of the games that were in Ravenloft from those who have played it before. It doesn't seem like it's always been a setting that has been used well, in my limited knowledge and opinion from other people saying things to me. Okay. Well, hey, well, we all have to, we all have to enter the mists at some point. So, all right. So, all right. So for me, I, you know, I only got into D&D &D with 5e. So I ran the first uh, Tyranny of Dragons thing. It was cool and everything. I'm like, yeah, this is fun. Like, I like being a game master. And then Ravenloft, like the, the, the Curse of Strahd dropped. And I was like, this is what I meant to do. All right. And I loved it so much. It was the, the whole idea of these the NPCs are so engaging. It was super creepy. It had so many vibes that I really liked. And so... Ever since then, though, I have said, like, I only, I, I ran Curse of Strahd 
like three times the full campaign three times we did one of them was a classic gothic core we did one that was straight castlevania it was very edgelordy and then we <laughs> did another one that was more definitely more like uh young frankenstein okay so it was the whole everything so when this book I, i've always wanted to know more about ravenloft but i'm always so intimidated to read old stuff like i just I, I tried, and then the layout is so bad, and I just can't do it. So uh, this uh, was amazing when they announced it. So, uh, Lisa, all right, I, I saved the best for last, okay? Oh, no, so much pressure! I, I know, right? No, I definitely feel like you're definitely our Ravenloft expert tonight, all right? So, so pile on more pressure there. So uh, <laughs> what's your what's your experience in history with Ravenloft, then? I love Ravenloft. It is by far my favorite setting. Um... I when I, I also got into D&D playing 5th edition uh, and I went to I um, read the player's handbook cover to cover and then I went to my friendly local game store and I joined I think it was like a pirate themed campaign but it had like 12 people in it it was like a very it was helpful as an introductory experience into D&D and then the first game where I felt like I have a small group this is my party I'm very invested in my character this um was a Ravenloft game uh Ooh. it was Adam's Wrath which was the La Mordia module uh uh translated to fifth edition um and i just that's the game that really made me fall in love with dungeons and dragons so completely and fall in love with the setting of ravenloft and from there our party went to Vorostokov, which i don't think is mentioned in this book it's like a tiny uh, little domain uh that's uh like survival horror um uh, but i I mean, I could talk about Ravenloft all day. I mean, I guess that's good that that's our subject. Yeah, I know, right? um, But I just find that the type of storytelling where everything revolves around a Dark Lord and their story really appeals to the type of discovery uh, and exploration and social interaction that I like in Dungeons & Dragons. That's super cool. So, uh... Yeah, no, I mean, that I, I, I totally agree. It's one of the reasons that I latched on as well. So I, I want to ask you then, uh, we'll let you kick this thing off then. So can you tell us, like, what it, what's, this, what's this book all about? Yeah, so this book is, like, a tremendous toolkit if you want to learn about all the different types of horror in Ravenloft, all the different domains, um, different interesting characters, monsters. If you want to build a character who has like dark secrets and a dark past, but is still heroic and struggling with that aspect of, of humanity, uh, this has that, everything Ravenlofty. But after flipping through the book, I think it's just more than that, an amazing resource for learning how to run horror games. Um, it talks about different types of horror. It has really great breakdowns for how to uh, plan a campaign and a compelling nemesis. And, and we'll get into all of that. Um, so if you like horror as a genre, even a little bit, like this is an amazing toolkit. Yeah, it's just super, super fun to read. So absolutely I'll, we'll dive deep there and so michael then uh kick us off then what's this we got an introduction chapter yeah so there's an introduction chapter and it does what you might expect it introduces you to the book and it also serves as an overview of all the different things that you'll find in the book and obviously we're going to go through those in piece by part uh but a couple of things i pulled out of the introduction that i thought were pretty cool is it includes the seven secrets of ravenloft 
And again, Eberron is like my favorite setting. And one of the things they did when the first Eberron books came out is they had this list of these are 20 things that are true about Eberron. And that's kind of what this is. This, the, these are seven things, seven secrets in Ravenloft. And, you know, one of them is Ravenloft is not a world. Um, another is that the dark powers control all. Another, the mists encompass all. Nowhere is safe. Only fear is certain. So it's like these sort of seven guiding principles uh, for running this type of game, but also serves as, as introductory information for the GM. And I thought those were really cool. There's some sections that talk about what the land of the mists really mean and what how the mists play a role in Ravenloft and the how they uh, surround all the different domains, keeping them separate, but they also connect them if you have the ability to travel through them. Uh, there's a section on nightmare logic. This is a horror story, so things don't make sense and shouldn't. So that's one of the things that can kind of instill fear is that you can't count on things making sense the way that you should expect them to. Uh, there's a section on the dark powers and the secrets of the dark powers. Again, this was all new to me because I knew nothing about the dark powers because I didn't know nothing about the setting. And then there's uh, a short section on the dork, on the dork lords. That's a different one. That's the dark lords. That's the young Frankenstein version yep. and their key features. And this, I loved every one of these. These, I'm going to go through all eight of these very, very quickly. Okay, Michael. Because <laughs> these were awesome. And this is w- when I started falling in love with the book. Okay. Okay, number one, Dark Lords are evil. Good, easy check. Yep. Two, Dark Lords are prisoners. Okay, that was like, what? Like, I, I didn't know about the Dark Powers till now, so I'm learning, and I'm like, that's interesting. Three, Dark Lords are tormented. Okay, so they're the big bad, but they're also kind of under the thumb. That's interesting. Uh, the Dark Lords influence the domains. That's great for theming. The Dark Lords vary by threat. I didn't really know what that meant till later. Dark Lords are active. I like that one. Dark Lords don't know they're Dark Lords. That's super cool. But here's the eighth one. This is the one that just like blew my mind wide open. Dark Lords are immortal. And what this means is that even if you manage to defeat a Dark Lord, you don't win. Because they will return. Because they cannot actually be destroyed. And then, spoilers way ahead, if a Dark Lord does either get destroyed or manages to escape, that's worse for the people in the domain than if they're still there, because I want to cover Dark on on that section. So I really, really like this introduction. Again, being a noob to all of this, everything was like eye-opening, and just right off the bat, I'm like, I could create some fun stuff with this book. And to like Lisa's point, I've used this metaphor before, I'm a pound it tonight. This isn't a recipe book. It's a cookbook. Okay. It's giving you tools and techniques to make your own recipes. It gives examples, but this is, this is a cooking class or a cooking resource where it's going to teach you big concept things that you can make your own. And I love that. Oh yeah. So I love that those, those, I, I love that dark Lords are immortal so much. Curse of Straw, they like when you kill curse when you kill Straw, there's a whole list of reasons he comes back. Because that one of the trope Tom tropes in our games is that I create NPCs that are so cool that my players want to kill them because they know that they bring me so much pleasure with how cool and how many capes I've given them. So the fact that I could always bring back Strahd, it just made it so good for me. So but it's not just a kind of a screw you to the players. I know. It's actually a screw you to Strahd. Yeah. Because death would probably be preference to him at this point but he can't actually die he's suffering 
the dark domain is actually his prison. And again, I had no idea of any of that. I don't know if this is stuff from the old editions or not, but I was just like, that infatuated me. I love that concept. Yeah, that's like very much the crux of what Ravenloft is and what makes it so compelling beyond just being horror. So I really loved that they captured that so succinctly uh, and clearly uh, that the domains are prisons and completely reflect uh, what the story of the Dark Lord is. Um, Yeah. Yeah, this introduction was great. Definitely like put the, it like, it just launches things so well. We kind of in our other reviews, we kind of talked about like I complained so much about the 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 to 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 Michael's chagrin the the Eberron introduction because to me it was just like blah here's some information whereas this was just like it was like it was good so I love it so anyway so this gets us to chapter one character creation personally I was I don't know what it was I wasn't expecting a bunch of character creation stuff but there's a good amount in here and it's not just subclasses and everything that you would expect but we get also just some information about what it takes as a player to play in a horror game so which I thought was really cool it gives players like tips for like this is how you want to interact within the game it's just real meta knowledge that i think is super important and i think is uh i don't think there's anything wrong with players having that information and how to interact at the table well but it's so there's there's this but then also we get some lineages some dark gifts some like i said some subclasses backgrounds and some some more trinkets so uh what I wanted to do, though, was I'll talk. So the lineages, it's this whole idea that it's kind of it's separate from your it's not a, it's not a race. It's something that replaces that. All right. So the one that I really like, I don't know if you guys had a favorite lineage. All right. I love the idea of the the returned so much or not the return, the reborn. I just love characters that come back from the dead. They're just so cool to me uh like thematically so what these do is uh you get your when did they i'm trying to i'm blanking when did they did they when did they bring in like the lineages which book was that and was that tasha's yes Uh, yeah so it's this whole idea of replacing the replacing a traditional race where you get to you get to choose your ability scores your languages and kind of what your creature type is and then with each of these lineages, you get something, something cool that makes it Raven lofty. So you're a, a reborn character. You're a a dampier. How do you say that? I, I don't so. know. I think it's like That's a, how I, think I say it, it. I think it's Blade. Like I'm pretty sure it's Blade. All right. So, but yeah, you get some cool. You get some. You get some really cool stuff here. Uh, uh, next, we get some dark gifts. Uh, uh, Lisa, what's Dark Gifts? Uh, well, before we talk Darkest Reborn, what all, was also my favorite lineage. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, and yeah. it's because they give you so much flavor as part of these lineages. One, they break it down by, like, domain. They suggest, like, which domains might have Reborn. And in one, you might be, like, a flesh golem or a science experiment. But in another one, you might be more, like, zombie-like, back crawling out of your grave. So I think that's really cool. Yes, uh, the Dark the- Gifts, yeah. I was really excited to see because those are something from ye old Ravenloft uh, that I forget what it's called. It's like the fraternity of the mists or something, a bunch of folks who were converting old Ravenloft uh, titles um, did create uh, a supplement called, I believe it's heroes of the mists and they'd have a bunch of dark gifts in there. Um, Dark gifts are basically 
there some sort of ultra spooky thing about your character. So maybe your shadow is alive and acts separately from the rest of your body or um uh that, that um or there's something that's like constantly watching you wherever you go. Um, but what was most exciting for me is that all of the dark gifts that are in here seem really fresh and new. None of them seem like the old dark gifts. Um, so I feel like they approached this maybe from scratch or ex- like explicitly tried to bring new ideas into this. Do you have an example off the top of your head of like one of the old dark gifts? Yeah, my character Mercy had... Um, uh, uh, grave site, uh, where basically she could, um, it often got turned into being able to commune with ghosts a little bit, but essentially if I walked into an area and a violent event had occurred there, I would have a vision of that violent event and those deaths. Um, and usually there was a, like a positive attribute and a negative attribute. I forget what the negative attribute was, but I remember the positive attribute there was that I might get some information, uh, out of the scene. Um, and likewise, these dark gifts, they, they all go a little bit more in depth than that. A bunch of them have random tables, which I always get really excited about. Um, and they have like at least like two small features that you get and then one larger feature and there might be positive or negative aspects to each of those. They're just really creative. Yeah. yeah I, I, again, I have no personal experience, but I had, a, I was a guest on a, the Tome show a couple of days ago and some of the people on there had more of a history and they were talking about the dark gifts that in the earlier editions, it was like the benefit was pretty small and the downside was really long <laughs> on a dark gift. Like it was basically you, it was going to kill you eventually, but you got a short, small benefit. So this is a pretty drastic change that these are all pretty useful uh, mm-hmm. and beneficial in more often. And like, you're going to get a benefit from them. They're not just like, uh, you're hosed if you get one type of a thing. Yeah. I also want to quickly mention just a cross pollinization here. I recently started a game called Shadow Spawns, which is a 13th age live stream game. And there are several things in this book that I am doing in that game. And one of those is living shadows. All of my characters have a living shadow and like, I have my own mechanics. I made up for it, but they basically have these independent shadows that are doing things like in one of the cases, it steals people's memories and gives them to the characters, oh. but sometimes steals their memories and they don't know, they don't realize it. Um, and I just thought it was really cool. I'm reading through there and, and like, there's also one of the domains is like a carnival and carnivals play a big part. So it's kind of weird. It's like serendipitous. It's like, oh, now I have actual rules for doing this if I want to like use these instead. Do actual Ravenloft now, Michael. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's 13th age. So. Okay. All right. Same thing. All right. Um, so, all right. So now we get to some. We get to some subclasses. We have a Bardic College, and then we get a Warlock Patron. Yes, so the Bardic College, College yeah. of Spirits. I really, really want to play this. Okay. So I don't in Curse of Strahd when I played it. I started out as a Bard, and I was very much like I took like all sort of like enchantment spells and stuff. And it's so hard being a Bard in Ravenloft, everybody, because. <laughs> Everything's immune to enchantment and those sorts of things. Um, But this is the bard. This would make me want to play a bard in Ravenloft again. Uh, So the College of Spirits is essentially like you're like a sort of medium. Uh, You communicate with ghosts and the and the dead and they tell you stories and then you can use those stories to different effect. I feel like it's um, mechanically a lot more flexible 
than the other bards um, because you have a bunch of different um, stories that you can randomly roll that have different things that you can do. So for example, um, the tale of the Avenger, you can, um, if you hear that story, you can apply it to a character. And when someone hits them, uh, the attacker takes force damage equal to your bardic inspiration die. Um, And then there's, all sorts of different ones. But there's also a feature where you can kind of um, have like a seance or something, uh, a spirit session, they call it, and that lets you switch out a different spell from any spell list. Whoa, any spell list? Any sp- class's spell list. And you can do that once per long rest. So it's okay. basically like Bardic Secrets, but you can switch it. That, which I just think is really cool. I, that's all on top of the fact that everything is flavored really heavily. Like you're a medium, you use like a like a Ouija planchette or a Taroka deck as your bardic focus. All of which is very, very fun. I love the art for this. It's like this old lady holding up a, a Taroka card with this like spectral warrior behind her. Oh, it's i dig it super cool so all right michael we get a warlock patron yes we get a warlock the undead so your your patron is some sort of immortal ancient undead being and you get uh, expanded spell lists that covers levels one through five some some spells you get to add to your list uh but the features the first one is form of dread this is the only feature a, that it's the only one that matters okay well one thing and again i don't i've never played a warlock like ever okay so i don't really know how this compares to a lot of the others but i really liked how a lot of the f- uh, further features work a little bit differently if you are in this feature so like it sort of compounds together so the form of dread is a bonus action you can manifest an aspect of your patron's dread and for a minute you gain uh hit points equal to 1d10 plus your warlock level and on once each turn during once during each of your turns if you're hit by an attack you can cause that person hit you or creature hit you to make a save and throw become frightened from you so it's kind of like uh, i think there's like a, a spell a uh, visage of something that that does that makes your face go ah and makes people run from you so it's sort of like that but it's just like this sort of form that you take but from then on there's these others that sort of compound at sixth level you get grave touch you no longer have to eat breathe or you know uh drink anything which is kind of cool uh you get um resistance to necrotic damage if you're in the form of dread then you're immune to necrotic damage uh at a later one you can choose not to die if you're about to go to zero hit points you can say nope i'm gonna go to one instead and then i'm going to explode in necrotic energy hitting everything within 30 feet of me uh and then i'm gonna have to take a i've actually never seen this before then you have to take 1d4 long rests before you get that one back which i thought was kind of interesting uh there's one where you can become a spirit so you actually like project your spirit out of your body and then you can like cast spells without verbal or somatic components of that part uh both of your forms get uh half damage or get resistant to certain types of damage and I think the ultimate one, uh, if you deal necrotic damage, you get hit points back, like half hit points uh, when you deal damage. So as a non-Warlock player, all of that sounds really cool to me. Yeah, as a Warlock player, the a, a key aspect of being a warlock, warlock is being super extra, 
All right. And so there is being form of dread, just the whole idea, like it's the, the level, being able to just transform yourself. It's all about like just being a, a, a terrible or powerful presence. And this is just, uh, this is like, I, w- I would just use this. Like, just to be cool at the table. Like, just to describe how cool my character is. Like, that's literally what I would do. Okay, so after that, we get some backgrounds. And I don't know if you all had any favorite backgrounds here. I love that there's an investigator included. I love the whole idea of Van Richten, like, being an investigator. No, that's my first complaint, all right? Because... All of, there's this these cool super these super cool notes at the in the introduction between Van Richten and his friends, and I was hoping that there would be more of those throughout the book, and there wasn't. So I just want to know about Van Richten and his traveling like squad of like mist walkers. Like they're I'm so, so cool. curious if they had more of those, and they had oh. to cut them for space because there was so much content they were they were putting in the book. I'm sure that because these are like. Like the Tasha stuff and the Bolo stuff, those are like little, like little, almost like post-it notes. These are like big letters, like super cool script. Uh, I loved it so much. But so I was super glad to see an investigator if you wanted to play like that Van Richten style of character. Plus you get to roll for your first case. Like that's, I, I love that kind of stuff. So. I really liked that they put in special tables for the uh, personality, bonds, ideals, and flaws. Because I feel like in a Ravenloft game, those become even more important than at your typical game. Because you're in Ravenloft, you're constantly going to have to make moral or ethical choices. So understanding what is your anchor for your character... Uh, can really help you role play. And I feel like in a lot of stories in Ravenloft, they tend to be dark, surprise. Um, so people's ideals can almost kind of turn into their flaws at some point. Like you go too strong. Um, so I, I love that they had, they included those tables. I love, I, love, I know what you're going to say, Michael. <laughs> that these tables are D12 tables. Because yep. <laughs> D12 is the best die. Yeah, I, yeah. They're they're pretty good. I like the chonky dice. Like, um, but yeah, no, these are super cool. Also, um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it. Uh, more trinkets too. We got a D one hundred table. I love I love the trinkets so much. I do too. I love I, seriously. I love trinkets. Yeah. I think a lot of times when I make a character, my character doesn't solidify until I roll my trinket, and it's like ah, now I know my character. There's, I love that. There's so cool like storytelling things that players can grab. Like, it's just oh, I love it. Yeah. What is it? Why do you have it? Where'd yeah. you get it? Oh, there's some, na- there's some like, nasty ones, like a severed big toe with a nail that continues to grow. Ugh. I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, I like it, but I don't like yeah. it. Yeah, that's, that's messed up. So, all right, we get into do- creating domains of dread. All right, this is chapter two. This is my all right, I'm gonna, This is my favorite chapter. All right, so this is the DM's toolbox. All right, it's also like it's a collaborative starting point for your game. Like these are like I would really encourage you to read this and then potentially even share this with your players if you're when you're creating the world and create it together. I think it'd be super cool. Uh, it includes sections for creating a dark lord and creating the domain, and then a huge section for these different genres of horror and uh, and how to evoke a certain feeling at your table but yeah i wanted to say it again like if these include different questions to ask and how to it's basically it's it's 
uh, world building through questions. So it's it's the the book asks you like how did your dark lord? Why is your dark lord tormented? How did your dark lord get here? These different things. And to me, what I would really do is I know it's meant for the the dungeon master, but I would literally sit this down with my players and we would do our session zero, and I would want to make this with them. Like, I love to me, that's that idea. Yeah, it's mm, I love so this cool. section so much. I, I, this is also just a great section, even if you don't want to play in Ravenloft, even if you don't want to play horror. This is just a how to create a bad guy for your campaign starter kit. That's what, you know, like if you're playing any sort of campaign at all, who is the main antagonist? These are some great questions. Some of them are more applicable than others because it's horror. But I think this is just a how to be a good DM section too that you could take to any future game and make sure that you're making these really interesting, you know, NPCs that you your players will want to know more about and not just hit them with a stick until they stop moving. Yeah, super cool. Uh, but yeah, but my my favorite part, why I love this so much, is the genres of horror. So these are things, they're genres. So dark fantasy and gothic and, and folk, and then you get some, some slasher stuff, a cosmic, all these different things. But what I love about this is I love when there is information that is given and it's it all follows the same format. So each one of these sections... It is, it all has, you have folklore, it has a, you have basically the monsters, the villains, the torments, the settings, adventure sites, plots. And then all of the other sections follow the exact same format. And for me, I don't know how I compartmentalize information, but it just works. And I have, it was like, it is like, it is pleasurable reading. Like, I like it. It's just, there's something about it that is just super nice. It's so. like the words version of those like things organized neatly pictures. Yes. Uh, words organized neatly. And also it makes it easy to flip between the different genres and compare them and understand those nuanced differences. I didn't even think about that, but it's so it's so true. Like you flip right over here to you got your body horror monsters, then you flip over to cosmic horror just to kind of see like absolutely. So what I wanted to do was, because these are super fun. They're all super fun. They're all super unique. So let's talk about which one was our favorite and why. So Michael, what's your favorite? So I went with ghost stories because I love a good mystery. And that's what a ghost story is. It's a mystery to be solved. Once you figure out who died or why they died or how they died, then you can go about putting the spirit to rest uh, in some way or form or another. And I love telling mystery stories, so these just absolutely go well together. Uh, ghost stories are often also a psychologically elaborate genre of horror. And, you know, it, this is from the book, but, you know, you're revealing tales of tragedy and past wrongs so that heroes can truly bring peace, peace to forces that share their suffering with the living. And if you, you know, if you have Netflix, I suggest go watching Haunting on Hill House. It is actually better, in my opinion, than Haunting of Bly Manor, but both are very good. Both are ghost stories. Both absolutely could be just completely carte blanche, stolen and ran as like Ravenloft campaigns. And I love that psychological aspect of it and the mystery aspect and, and the jump scares as well. So absolutely love it. Um, 
Some of the ghost stories that, you know, ghost stories touch fundamentally issues on existence, the nature of the soul, the weighty fact of mortality. Uh, they deal with grief. Some of the genre tropes, uh, all hauntings have a deep story and the smallest detail can tell it. So you're going to look for clues in like a painting or a locket or like what page of a book is earmarked, what, uh, you know, what book is out of place in the library. I love those types of things. Uh, personal ties give ghost stories weight. So you want to make the victims of these someone the PCs care about or maybe someone they hate, but just a strong emotional connection to the victims will bring a connection to your characters. And I love that. Uh, heroes who are pure hearted, uh, their resolve may be shaken by the story's events. So look for ways to test your hero's psychology with the hauntings. Um, and there's a bunch of other stuff in here. I, basically, it talks about uh, the tables include like what monsters are going to be involved, like uh, who the villains are. One of the examples is a medium who feeds the spirits victims in exchange for power, or maybe Classic. a ghost hunter who inflicts hauntings just to come in and remove them for a cost, which I love. The uh, grifter. You know, the ghost grifter. That's The ghost grifter, grifter yes. Uh, it, which is, which again, it could be someone who actually isn't using spirits, but then they awaken actual spirit, you know, very classic. Uh, you get the torments, uh, the settings, like a realm where speaking to the spirits is the same as speaking to the living, uh, a nation where the residents observe these grueling rituals to make sure that the ang the angry dead are appeased, a ship with the same name as a ship that sank a hundred years ago, that kind of stuff. Adventure sites like a decrepit conservatory uh, where their inhabitants are prone to terrible accidents. And then ghost story plots. You know, discover why a prominent uh, family never allows anyone to visit their guest house. Or solve the murder of why a countess drowned in the same well her mother and her mother's mother drowned. And all these are from tables. You just roll a D8. Unfortunately, it's not a D12, so I got to give it a little bit of a... Of, of, pull back there because the d12 obviously is better yep. but you can mix and match these and within five minutes you have an awesome adventure and the seed of a campaign and again all the genres are the same i particularly like ghost stories tom which one did you pick i want to i i'm going to save mine for last i oh, want to oh, okay, i want to hear lisa. i want to hear i want to hear lisa because i feel because lisa stole one of my favorites oh yeah well you listed two and i, I know was right like, that's greedy <laughs> um, okay which, i which, picked what, what gothic got? horror which if you're thinking ravenloft i've always thought of that as the gothic horror setting yep. so it was really interesting i so i really love that they broke it down even further a lot of the um later when we get to the domain section they'll be listed as gothic horror and an additional type of horror uh but what i love about gothic horror is that it's really it's a much more subtle type of horror and it's really about the horror of humanity we are the monsters uh but uh, in the world of gothic horror, uh, the people who do evil things are become literal monsters uh, in that way. Um, so if you're looking for a campaign where there's a lot of social interaction, um, where people might not realize that they're in a horror setting at the beginning until things just start to feel off, uh, gothic horror is really great for that. Also romantic horror, I feel like, is a sub section yes. of gothic horror for sure and i love that um reading this section made me understand um a 
another horror show uh, that I was on, The Haunting of Good Society, which used the Jane Austen RPG as the system. So it's not meant for horror at all. But we were like, what if we did a Haunting of style show, but used Good Society? And it worked so well but it was because we were doing gothic horror and all that sort of prim proper society stuff where everything seems very sophisticated very very proper but secretly everything is a heckin mess everybody's secretly a vampire Uh, that's very gothic horror yeah i that's one of the reasons i love gothic horror as well like I it it's even the trope in here that they list to a gothic horror villain is some it, it is somebody who is so unrepentantly evil they are bad but like you said you don't notice it right away because the the trappings that they've put on the the their politeness that they are that they are just showing it's like they're putting on a face and that's they're it's hiding who they are so that's I, that's really I, I I love it so much. You get to have like yeah. It also creates a sense of dread once characters realize they are in a horror setting, or if yeah. they go in knowing that this is a horror game. Which, if you're doing horror, they probably should. Um, <laughs> but uh, you don't know who the monsters are. Um, and maybe I feel like gothic horror is a great setting uh, when also you have literal monsters who might even be the the good guys and the, right. the people who look like lovely humans are are the true monsters yes That's, of course and going back to again i think we, we kind of touched on a little bit about you know communication with your players players should know obviously you're probably going to play horror but you still could have them buy in and their characters may not know they're true. in horror so they can have those reactions of oh my god what is happening you know that slow dawning realization of of awfulness you know, just because the player already knows it's coming doesn't mean they can't have fun role-playing that with their character. So you still get that. Just like the eat your cake and have it too situation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, Tom, you'd mentioned that in the previous section, it uh, gave advice to players on how you might want to play a horror character. And yeah. I think my favorite tip uh, was that uh, the book recommend you might want to throw your character into more danger as a yeah. player and make your characters uh, like make things go poorly for your character because that adds to the fun uh, for that type of game for some people. Yeah. Absolutely, get yeah, get weighed right into the drama. Like, yes, <laughs> it's, I I love it so much. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. No, Gothic Horror is just so great. Plus, you can have I love dinner parties in all my games, and Gothic Horror mm-hmm. is great for dinner parties. So anyway, uh, feasts and whatnot. So all right, so I p- picked folk horror. I was surprised that this was here. Well, this is actually I was thinking about it. This is like what is folk horror, and I think the easiest way to explain it is like to think about some of the some of the f- more famous media is like the recent movie The Witch or The Wicker Man or. I, I think about some of my favorite, some of my favorite podcasts, the the old gods of Appalachia, or even I would say like Welcome to Night Vale is to me folk horror, and what it is, it is folk horror is horror that is all about it's generational horror. It is horror that is takes place within a small community that doesn't want anyone from the outside in or anyone from the inside to leave. All right, it's all about. I, putting yourself in isolation. So I, I, so I. So like the village. The village. Spoilers. Yeah, exactly. Exa- exa- exactly. So uh, it's very much, uh, I think, 
I grew up like reading like like campfire ghost stories, like ghost stories in the woods, stuff about like ancient creatures that stalked in the night, stuff that strained like the tale of like just all sorts of weird stuff like Roanoke, like all this other just strange things that all encompass folklore. So some of the some of the the tropes that of folklore that I love are just the whole idea of like an isolated wooded village where everything kind of seems normal but there's something off why are the villagers so welcoming why do they want me here oh that's a sacrifice statue like it's kind of like so it's this whole idea of like it's it's just it's meant to be strange and slightly uncomfortable and I, I love the picture as a picture of a goat. So there's this very much this kind of old, ancient magic that is associated with folklore. And I, I dig it. I dig it so much. I love it. So lots of good stuff, too. If you like druids and sorcerers and that kind of stuff, it's perfect. So anyway, that's folklore. Uh, uh, and then also super cool, they included some really weird, like, like micro genres like slasher occult psychological and disaster horror just to throw them in there i I like that so uh anyway so now we are getting into the meat of everything chapter three the domains of ravenloft so which is like half the book right it's it's almost half the whole book so good so so lisa take us take it take it away What's chapter so three? Chapter three, Domains of Ravenloft, is really where you're either going to learn all the Ravenloft lore you want to know to run a Ravenloft story, or put all of these like tools that you've just been given and see them in action uh, and get inspiration. Uh, that's that's chapter three. So it starts off talking a bit about traveling through the mists. The mists are a really big part of Ravenloft. Um, it's not everybody can travel through them and certain things happen if you spend too much time in them. Uh, so it talks a little bit about how people travel. And at the end, it talks about some people who are travelers, folks like Rudolph Van Richten, um, and um, his really, really sad son. Uh, so tragic. And there are um, these sis- young sisters. I got the impression they were young, almost sort of like Nancy Drew Hardy Boys type. Uh, that's how I imagine them in my head. But you, so you, you get really cool NPCs. But the bulk of the chapter goes into each domain um breaks down i love at the beginning it breaks down who the dark lord is what genre of horror it is so you kind of reference those genres you just learned about the hallmarks of that domain so you kind of get an instant snapshot of whether this has themes that are interesting to you um and then also missed talismans which is how characters might travel to this domain um, and there's um, each domain has a map and it breaks down different locations and who the Dark Lord is and who their monsters are. And similar to what Tom really liked about the horror genres, things are words are organized neatly. Yes. We like it's it. So good. So yeah. I want to ask you, Lisa. So what is like it was just confusing to me because like I read I read I read Curse of Strahd and I knew that like. I was always so confused, like, what is Ravenloft? What is Barovia? I don't know what any of this is. Is is Barovia Ravenloft? It was so confusing. But can you kind of explain briefly, like, like how Ravenloft works? Like, what is 
Ravenloft? And how does it, how has it changed from what it used to be? Yeah. So I actually, I don't think that the people who live in Ravenloft call it quote unquote Ravenloft. Like it's not the continent of Ravenloft. That is the name of the setting. And it gets its name from Castle Ravenloft, which is in Barovia, the original domain. Um, In the past, there was actually basically a Ravenloft continent, and there were all the core domains, and they were all connected together. Um, But in this rendition of Ravenloft, they've changed it so they're all sort of like floating islands in the mists, almost. So you literally cannot travel from one to the other without going through the mist. There's not like a border to cross. You've got to do some sort of weird travel uh, to, to get to a different domain or the mists need to watch you uh, to yeah. be somewhere, uh, yeah. which is an interesting change. I do miss that that big old Ravenloft map, um, but I think it makes sense uh, to change it to those a little bit, be a little bit more nebulous. I was also, I was, I kept on, they don't like outright say it. Like they're, they're very ambiguous about stuff, but they kept on mentioning the Shadowfell. Yeah, Ravenloft used to be its own, like, I thought of it as, like, a completely separate thing, and now it seems like it is part of the Shadowfell, sort of. They they are nebulous about it. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things I loved about Curse of Strahd was the whole idea that Barovia was its own separate thing, and it felt contained. Like, I felt really comfortable as a newer gm at the time like oh this is a small world and it says that there are i'm sorry players there are mists here you cannot leave so everybody stay here we're gonna all do this like so it felt very much like contained and i could do what i want it was my own sandbox so i was glad that i felt i felt the same with these sections too like they kind of kept that feel like these are enclosed like very very themed uh world so i dug it so much so what we want to do then is uh let's we all picked our favorite domain to talk about uh so uh lisa what's what's your favorite do- there's a there was a lot to pick from it was hard. yeah there's so yeah, many i'm not kidding there's so many it's i i love it it was this is like great to read because i always wanted to know ravenloft lore and because each domain was so different it was just i wanted to run campaigns and so many of these i'm sure i will like but like they're so great so lisa what's what's your favorite domain here okay so i kind of cheated when i picked my domain my character has been to lamordia verastokov cardicus harakir um and then lamordia again uh and i went with my that original ravenloft domain but in part i wanted to choose it because they made some really big changes to the domain uh that i actually sort of love so my heart belongs to lamordia which is very much sort of like the frankenstein domain you have the mad scientist trope and in the original you have his creation adam i've also read the the novel uh that is about this domain and there is so much problematic about old lamordia um i mean the mad scientist trope in itself but also uh he has a wife elise who is basically just there as a prop to be horrified by the monster and then to become this like horrible creation and then a love interest when she's like basically 
like not able to function uh, yeah. between this monster and the doctor who's also maybe the monster. Um, so as much as I love that Frankenstein story, I was really happy to see them update Lamordia. Um, and I've also, uh, when I was uh, at uh, the D&D Adventurers League, I also wrote Adventures in Lamordia and made some changes as well to give Elise some more agency. Um, so I like literally screamed in my house when I got to the section about, first of all, they changed Victor Mordenheim to Victra Mordenheim. Yep. So we have a badass science bay. Um, and then I screamed when I saw that she met Elise, quote, a beautiful but reckless body snatcher who was charmed by the doctor's aloofness. And I'm just like, oh, like tragic science lesbians. I'm very much here for it. Uh, and so Elise has uh, they completely got rid of the monster. Yeah, okay. Elise has sort of become the monster, and she has uh, a contraption uh, in her uh, that I believe is called the un the unbreakable heart. Um, and so they've given this character more agency, a more crucial role in the story, uh, and all the pieces just kind of make more sense. Uh, and you still get all like your if you love the Frankenstein story, which I do, you get that and sort of like a steampunk setting. There is some, I, I will say this too, about this, about this setting that really kind of struck me. I, I love that each one of these settings has really cool maps mm-hmm. so much. The, they're just so unique. Like Lamordia's map, it's got like this like steamboat on it that I absolutely dug. But then also the art of Elise this is the, and I wanted to actually, it was interesting you brought this one up because this was the piece of art that I saw here and then I started flipping through it and I started seeing something. There's so much character art in this, in this book. And I think it's really interesting too because it's trying to, instead of like these grand landscapes or these pictures of buildings or cities, there's so much focus in Ravenloft about the characters that like, exists within Ravenloft. It's so I don't know if it was on purpose or whatnot, but just all of this character is just so it's so good. And you get a sense of like the people who are here. So I think I, that art direction, whether I'm I it must be on purpose. Yeah. Like, even if it's not, is so well done because everything about the locations is influenced by the characters. It's about their stories. In Lamordia's case, it's about this tragic romance and uh victor mordenheim's issues with con like with uh, consent and thinking and honestly just not caring about humans thinking that they're just piles of flesh um and the difference between a character who's been transformed into a monster and their morals and their creator who's actually the monster it's just uh it's so well done i like that there's victor mordenheim art throughout the book as well Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, yeah, I did it. Yeah, there is. There's right at the beginning of the domains, I think, is, uh, that is one right there. So, okay. Uh, so, super cool. All right. So, uh, the, one that, the one that I picked. Okay, I think I'm going to be uh, pronouncing this right. Okay, but it is Dement Lou. All right. This is the, I just love the descriptor. It is the domain of decadent delusion. Okay. I I picked folk horror, all right, because I like isolation, all right? 
but uh this setting is very much not that it is a it is a sprawling metropolis and it is a it's a city and i love city adventures but what makes this just it's so cool about this is that there's two classes of people all right but everyone is really actually equal everybody is just living their life in absolute anxiety that they're just going to be turned to dust by this wraith that just haunts their city and then hosts these grand masquerade balls and it's just so the people within uh, Dimensalu are just like they're just torn all right on one hand they want to just live their life but on the other hand they have to perform they have to basically put on masks and they have to put on the best clothes that they can get even if it's like not the greatest clothes they have to do whatever they can to make sure that they don't fall apart because if they show the slightest sign that they are just starting to slip away uh then they will be basically just destroyed by this absolutely tragic character all right uh the 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 dark lord is sadra de honer all right and basically She's a, a farm girl, all right, that grew up. And this is what's, it's so tragic. Like, it really, it is a sad story. She grew up being lied to, all right, by her, by her father. And her father told her that he was some sort of noble. And it was, and she believed him and looked at him like a hero. And then her mother died and he has to, he's got to remarry. And she, it's the classic trope. She gets two terrible step siblings and it's just it's the worst and then they tell her that her father was lying and then her father was all like yeah of course i was lying why did you think i was telling the truth and it is and then she's just like has is like cannot take it anymore and just becomes this this character that she's created for herself of this this noble woman all right and it just eats her alive and so she wants everyone else to be like her and to have to perform like she is performing and so it just it creates this this real tension in this city and also masquerade balls are so awesome they're so they're so like great and i love fancy stuff but they're also so creepy there's just something unnerving about a masquerade ball that i just i don't know i just this like i i, I like this so much this... like i Oh, so sorry. Good. I was going to say, this domain feels like an like a weird episode of Black Mirror. Maybe it's that, like, psychological horror aspect. I it, it has to be. It's just, it's very, it's very strange. Uh, I dig it. I, I'm sad. I don't know if my, like, I, I, lo- I really, I love my players. I don't know if they would dig this, but, like, this is, like, this is my, this is my jam, 100%. And I, I love it. Like, just the whole idea of like you're like at the grand masquerade and that the example they use that all of a sudden oh one of your buttons accidentally falls off <gasps> and all of a sudden uh the the you you are now like the the grand the grand mistress of the ball sees you and comes at you and just un- pulls your mask off to show that you're how terrible you are because you you decided to wear clothes that are so tattered to her ball and so she just turns you into dust like while while she herself is also living a fake life, it's just oh, it's, it's so it's so dramatic and so extra. It's great. Okay, uh, so 
So, uh, Michael, what about yourself? So I went with Darkon. And Darkon is the odd duck out because Darkon does not have a Dark Lord. And going back to that eighth secret thing that I love that the that the Dark Lords are immortal. And even if you defeat them, they don't stay defeated because that's not what this is about. Here's the the example that proves the rule. You have a realm where they're dark where the Dark Lord has gone away. And and what exactly they did is a mystery and is one of the things that you can decide for yourself what happens to them, but there is no doubt that they are now gone. And this has caused this domain to begin to collapse. And so the genres are dark fantasy and disaster horror because the myths, mist, I can't talk, the myths have started to sort of like reclaim the domain to the point that at the start of the story, the domain itself, the physical landscape has been divided into four segments that no longer touch. So it's as if they are completely separated now because you can't get between them anymore because the myths are there. So just like traveling between domains, you can't travel within this domain to another landscape unless you have a way to travel through the mist, which obviously is very hard and very uh, deadly and dangerous. Now, one thing we didn't touch on is that the Dark Lords have the ability to close or open their borders through the mists, which I don't quite fully understand myself, but basically I guess it's like they have to say yes or no if anything can come or go. And since there is no Dark Lord here, there's no one to make that decision. So I guess they're either always open or always closed. Uh, But this is like the ultimate worst case scenario. You have this terrible Dark Lord, but they've now gone. And instead of this being celebration, it's made things worse. Because it is absolutely, you know, just there is a slow moving avalanche of destruction that is going to overtake every living thing in this domain. Everything is going to die, but it could be years from now. And part of the, the lore of, Dar- of Ravenloft is that the, the locals kind of just accept things as they are. And so, yeah, they notice that, you know, hey, there was a farm two miles away that now isn't there anymore. But yeah, it's fine. We'll be fine. So they're just going about farming. But every day, the mists are slowly creeping forward. And it's inevitable that eventually everyone will die and succumb to this. And the tragedy of that just fills my heart with like wonder, like, can it be fixed? Can our heroes make that better? And the answer is probably no, but maybe they can try. And in their effort, maybe that will inspire someone else to be able to finally fix it. And I, just, I love that. It's hopelessness, but there's a glimmer of hope in there. It, just, it, it absolutely makes me so happy. And again, going back to the cookbook aspect, this is giving you a, an example of a domain that if you're going to make your own, that you can play with the recipe a little bit because every domain has a dark lord, but they don't actually have to. You can change things up if you wanted. So you could have a domain with three Dark Lords or no Dark Lords. And, you know, again, you can mix and match and make your own, which I really like. Uh, I was just going to say, I I, I, lo- I love this one, too, Michael, so much. I will say this, too. I like talking about the different pieces of art. Page 90 of this has one of the coolest characters. All right. It is someone named Baron, who's a vampire with a, like a, looks like a samurai sword in a long coat with roses or flowers on it. Like, it's it's just like it's, it's so cool. I love it. <laughs> yes. So that yeah, that is Alicio Baron Metis. I'm gonna get to them in just a minute. Uh, so a couple of the features of this Darkon is that the myths are consuming the land, and it's now divided into four sections. 
uh, after Aslan, so Aslan Rex was the Dark Lord. They apparently escaped a unmoving gold star that has been named the King's Tear hangs in the sky and the sun and the move moon go behind it. So whatever it is, it is closer than the sun or the moon, but no one knows what it is or why it doesn't move. Um, and since this has happened every night, uh, any, the night after any humanoid dies, it raises as a zombie. So now the, the locals have gone to links to keep this from happening. Since the Dark Lord has gone away, three different powers have sort of vied for replacing that. There's a vacuum of power. You've got three different forces that are working in opposition to each other to try to fill that role, even though it doesn't matter. So, like, they could be trying to find a way to escape or to help other people escape. They don't care. They're just going to try to put themselves in power. And I can't help but mention that I feel like maybe this is just a metaphor for climate change and that... <laughs> We're all screwed, but the people in power are just worried about themselves, and it's not going to matter because we're all going to be dead in 100 years anyways. But, so there's three individuals or groups that are fighting to replace Aslan. So you have this Elysio Baron Metis, who's a vampire, whose brother was destroyed by Van Richten. Oh, that's that's good. That's good. Darkalus Rex, who's a Necra Ikor, which we'll probably talk about later, maybe it's a new monstrosity, who was a former tyrant that died and has been raised by the Eternal Order, specifically by the Archmage Cardina as... I can't pronounce so it. So many names. So basically, they're trying to re rebirth this tyrant, hoping that maybe they'll be able to play, replace Aslan. They don't know. It's just a shot in the dark. And then there's Madame Talversi Eris. Again, I'm pronouncing those terribly. Who's a permanently invisible noblewoman who uses cosmetics and clothing to appear visible at times. And she basically runs a purge-style event every new moon <laughs> where she gets all the other nobles liquored up and sends them out to do terrible things. And she uses the fact that they did, did this against them to keep control of them. This is all lovely awfulness and then i could so put a, a game together using these factions it just i just absolutely loved it and then of course there's tables that you can roll on that will tell you what is actually happening what actually happened to aslan can anything potentially fix darkon and what is the final fate of darkon going to be so it's even though it's probably not going to turn out good there is a glimmer of hope there could be a salvation maybe your characters can find it uh roll on a on a d8 table not a d12 but a, roll on a d table find out i love it super can cool. i make two comments of course the first is that i think it'd be so cool if you were doing like a campaign all across the different domains and someone's end game is to become the dark lord of darkon I think that would be really fun. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, the other thing is uh, my Ravenloft character, Mercy, is from Darkon. Uh, and uh, they made a lot of changes to Darkon as well. And her whole thing was that she was warning people the Hour of Ascension was coming. So it happened. Darkon's all messed up now and people should have listened to her. Yes, they should have listened. Oh, it, it's very fortuitous. It's awesome. There is so much cool stuff in this section. I wanted to ask you all. I'm going to I'm going to point out a couple of things that I absolutely love. And I want to give you all the chance to if there's anything in this in this chapter 3 that you thought was super cool. But I have to bring up, all right. The we got to talk. We can't talk about the domains without talking about Barovia, okay? All right. There is one thing about the new a lot of this stuff if you've read Curse of Strahd, you know all this stuff. All right. But the thing I love about the Barovia section is that they included this table. All right. All right. 
that is the Lost Tatiana table. Okay. It, if you've played uh, Curse of Stradina, Tatiana is Strahd's, like, the, this. it's this person that he has fallen, like, absolutely in love with, but he is destined to never be uh, with them. And it's just, like, it's this terrible, terrible, like, Strahd's evilness and his just absolute try to control over this person. Um, this whole idea of consent and everything. But what is so great about this is that you have a chance to where is Tatiana? Like it's the whole idea of her spirit is is showing up in someone else and every, and always is being resurrected. But you get to the one that I love the most because I feel like it's finally giving her the agency she needs. All right, is number six on this table. All right, Lisa Von Zerovich. All right, you get to create a long lost like relative of Strahd who is going to go fight Strahd as a vampire and take over Barovia. And I just think that that is so cool that this is Tatiana just going after Strahd as his equal. It is just, plus the art is like, once again, I love it. It's so cool. If I'm remembering correctly, uh, Lisa Von Zarevich, uh helps to create vampire mind flares in Bluetspur. So she's like a super badass NPC I, too. Yeah, I just thought this was some random thing that they could that like somebody like, hey, look at this cool vampire art. They're like, oh let's throw this on this table here. Like so <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Did you guys like that for me, like that was a standout here. I love this so much. All right. Do you guys have any other standouts from this chapter? I'll just mention I liked the Carnival one. That was my second choice. Uh, again, going back to my Shadow Spawns game where carnivals play a large role, there was a lot of just neat elements in there and that the actual Dark Lord is a sentient weapon and control, yeah. uh, being controlled by what is essentially a, a, a good NPC who's being corrupted. I just thought that was a cool dynamic. I'm shocked that they did. they didn't include any. I like I'm terrified of clowns. I just don't like them. So and they, it's so. But and I, do, do, yeah, do, yeah, do, it's do, not do, cool. Do, like, but do. they they didn't include any there. I was like, okay, but okay, interesting choice. Not including clowns at the carnival, but yeah, no, I was glad for that. Anyway, that, that uh, would have been too well, much. To- yeah. yeah. <laughs> in Tom's version, you can put clowns. Okay. Yeah, scare me a little bit. Okay. Uh, so, Lisa, do you have any other standout yeah. items here? I think another standout for me is just the Mist Wanderers uh, section. Yeah. Just because I love talking to characters. And these are also characters who can prompt you to explore different domains once you're you're done exploring a story in one section. Um, and so just anything related to the Van Richtens, I love a, a mega tragic story. So Ar- Erasmus Van Richten gets kidnapped, tra- tra- uh, transformed into a vampire, then his dad who's a monster hunter has to kill him he's just having like the worst time ever uh and i i'm a sucker for tragedy so i i really loved reading that story yeah all of these npcs are just super cool and they do include like all of them it's not just none of these are, like throwaway or fill in they all have awesome stories that you could run adventures off of so i i, I love it so much so uh, i also mentioned that there's an eberron focused one the there's ghost a, train. This, yeah. uh, the ghost train uh, and i just counted there's 17 domains that are fully fleshed out 
like the ones we've described, and there's 22 additional like mini section ones. So that's 39 domains that they give you as seeds, plus they give you the toolkit to make anyone make your own. That it, again, this is a huge section of the book. It's like well over 100 pages, I think, uh, in a you know a 250 page book. It's massive, but it's it's all great. It's all evocative. It's all interesting and inspirational. So big fan. Okay. Next chapter, horror adventures, Michael. So we get a cha- chapter uh, on horror adventures. So there's sections here about what understa- uh, about understanding what horror is, and maybe more importantly, what it is not. It talks about setting expectations for you and your players, uh, using content, uh, content and themes, your safety tools. It talks about session zero. So ding, everybody take a drink. Uh, there's sections on running a horror game, like how to set atmosphere, maybe using things like music, pacing, uh, describing horror. So like one of the things it talks about is you don't just have a monster show up. You, you know, you, you have a prelude. You have these things that let the players know that something is coming. It could be, you know, moments ahead of time, like a smell or sight. Or it could be, you know, sessions ahead where they're they're finding like a village where something has happened. So you see the handiwork of the monster long before you see it. Describing what it looks like when it attacks what it looks like when it takes damage. And these are things that, you know, you can draw these out and make them just more in-depth and more engaging to your players. Uh, Obviously, again, safety is a priority. It talks about checking in with your players to make sure that as you continue on that everyone is still having fun, Uh, not just from a contents, you know, but also, again, from their own safety. talks a little bit about using props like the Taroka deck and then a spirit board. There's a honestly pretty janky uh, planchette. Basically, it's just a image if i'm sure if beetle and grim does a box set it'll be awesome uh, and i'm still that from enrique from that tome show but yeah but it's it's like uh, inspirational but it could be better uh, and then there's a horror toolkit uh it talks about using curses which i actually think is a really fun love, thing that has curses. in the setting uh, it also has sample curses and also again the toolkit to build your own it talks a little bit about fear and stress and i'd, I'd say if, if i have any complaint about the book it's the um, the stress score. They really sort of just like throw out, I don't know, maybe use the stress score. But they don't really talk about what you should do with it. Like you can quantify it, give it a numerical value, but what does that mean? Like I just feel like this was very underdeveloped. And I know they're trying to get away from things like insanity. Uh, you know, it's like as a sanity score that you go insane because it's not really a good look and you know in 2021 we were trying to get away from those things i think they're like well we'll use stress but then they didn't really use stress so that's probably my my one complaint about the book is i don't think they did enough with stress uh they do talk about fear and maybe given your character there's a table to roll on like maybe they have a phobia or something that is a they call it a seed of fear that then if it comes up in the game you can like mechanize it that mechanize it i should say Maybe one of those two uh, that, you know, because your fear is this and now we've experienced this in the game. How does your character react? So it's kind of like role play and development prompts, which I thought was kind of cool. And then they have haunted traps, which I think are pretty cool. I like those quite a lot. Uh, They give some examples and also you can build your own. Uh, There's a a section on survivors, which are kind of like sidekicks from the essentials box set. These are like non-leveled NPCs that you can play as either in like a flashback. So it's like, you know, your characters come into a village and you see everyone's wiped out hard cut. Now you are playing the survivors in this thing that happened in the village so that your players get to see what the characters don't. 
but you can also play them as like a out-of-body experience, or you could play like a session where they're not just going to die, but you're playing as these underpowered survivor characters, which is sort of a horror trope. When you are powerful, like a fifth-level wizard, it's kind of hard to be afraid of stuff because I can fireball it. So you take that away and say, okay, now you're playing this person who is like a scribe or a blacksmith, your typical almost zero level NPC type stuff, but in this case, they're leveled. They're leveled. Uh, and then we get a sample adventure, which I think Tom's actually going to cover that. Yeah, so I wanted to ask Lisa, if, what did you think about this section here? I really loved the curses section. I really yes. liked the idea of fear and stress. Um, I do like that they brought up that a monster doesn't have to necessarily have a special ability to make you scared of it. And I agree that stress was maybe a little underdeveloped, but I did like that it's a simple penalty to pretty much every roll, rather than it needing to be another table that you roll on to see what a stress effect might be, uh, since a dungeon master is already keeping track of stuff. But the curses, fear, and stress all feel like they are substituting for what used to be dark powers checks. Um, and I kind of miss dark powers checks a little bit. I can understand why they took them out, but it was the idea that while you're spending time in Ravenloft, depending on the choices that you make, uh, you are becoming tainted uh, as well by the dark powers. Um, so if you make a, an amoral decision, uh, you could roll a dark powers check and there's a possibility that your character becomes par like partially tainted by that decision. You can figure out how you want to role play that. Um, I'm guessing they've moved away from that because that takes away some player agency. Like maybe someone wants to play an evil character. They talk about that a little bit yeah. in the book. Um, and with dark powers checks, you did eventually lose control of your character if you kept, if you kept doing evil shit. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could, I could see how like absolute removal of agency and like, yeah, that's my new NPC now. So, um, no, I, I get that. I agree though. Like I love the curses like so much it, to me, they were super cool because this right here is something really bad that you can do to the player. But here's the thing, though. I am not somebody who is, like, I am a huge advocate of GMs and players working together. I, like, I like very equal, like, power structure at the table. But this is great because this is punishment. Like, this is, you have made a decision. Like, this is, you have made the choice to, to kill this innocent bystander. And now you are cursed. Like, like, Face your consequences, player. Like, so I I love that. It kind of it adds some gravity to the decisions that people are making at the table, which is super cool. Uh, also, I got to talk about stress, too, since you all talked about it. Okay, so I saw stress here, and I'm currently on an alien RPG kick right now, and they have stress mechanics that are so good that when I read this, I was just like, Ugh, meh. <laughs> like because because in Alien it does a very similar thing that Dread does, which I think is super cool with scary games, is that you have mechanics that really make you kind of stressed and scared at the table, and it's like a trick. Like with Dread, you're pushing over Jenga blocks. Your character is not scared. You're scared that you're gonna knock over the tower, but you're kind of like blending those things together. And the same thing with the Alien RPG. 
where you start to get these stress dice and you're rolling more and more dice. And the more dice you're rolling, the more bad stuff that's happening. And then, but as the more dice you get, it, things are just getting worse and worse and worse. So it's just this constant, this constant uh, uh, increase of stress. And so anyway, I wanted to bring that up because I, I just did. All right. So I love the alien RPG. I like this too, but yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, no, super cool stuff here. Love it. All right. Um, Upgraded stress mechanics would be a great supplement for someone to publish on Dungeon Master's Guild. You you heard it Later here on. from Lisa. All right, <laughs> somebody somebody make some um somebody make a some upgraded stress mechanics. All right, uh, no promises that it will be at the front page. But anyway, all right. So um, we also get an adventure. Okay, okay. One of my favorite parts of Curse of Strahd was. The, why am I blanking? Why am I blanking on the Death, Death, Death House? House? Yes, Death House. I think everybody ran Death House at some point. Like I feel like it has to be one of the most run. I don't know. One. I feel like everybody I talked about ran Death House. It was great. It, this to me is Death House Part Two. All right. It is another. It's another mansion. It's an adventure set in a mansion or uh, a haunted house. There are so many rooms in such a small space. So it's so unique. Like there's like 30 something rooms, but it's tiny. It's not like this big sprawling dungeon. It's this really cramped tight house. And so I love this. This is, if you like Death House, you're going to love this. It's called the House of Lament. It's basically, here's the basic premise. Long time ago, all right, there was a castle, all right, with an evil person who lived in it. All right. They killed a, a bunch a knights some knights people okay and so that knight was like going to the castle and just absolutely raised it all right and this knight destroyed it and all that was left was a tower all sorts of bad stuff happened in the castle you know putting innocent people in the walls and you know it was very there's lots of icky stuff there all right the castle was destroyed lots of mass death and then some people said we're gonna build a house here all right and they built a house on top of this super haunted place and then everybody started disappearing uh, and then that's where this story is. It's now, it's so much death and despair happened that it kind of became its own domain. All right. So it is not a cool house. And the, uh, and so anyway, your players are just received like, uh, it's just kind of very simple. Like, Hey, go investigate this house. And when you arrive at the house, there's an NPC there to help you kind of guide you through it. And one of those NPCs, you get to pick, but like one of the choices is Van Richten. You know, if you want to give him a real good launch into Ravenloft put Van Richten there. And the whole premise is that you're going to explore the house. And as you explore the house, you get to do some seances. And every time you do a seance, the house starts to awaken. And then eventually you've done your third seance and the house is fully awakened. So it's really cool. It gives your players the chance to explore the house and get to see it without being like killed by murder ghosts. But then as you keep on going, then there is opportunity to be killed by murder ghosts. And super cool. It's very... um. Lots of cool, creepy, haunting stuff. Like, they give examples for how to make something creepy. I love one of the examples because it's so it's so scary. The whole idea, like, your player sees a ghost walking down the hall. And that, you're like, oh, that's scary. There's a ghost. But all of a sudden, dark tendrils reach out and grab the ghost and pull the ghost down the hallway. And I, so it's like there's something worse than the ghost here. So it's just, it's it's really it's really cool. I love it. If you liked Death House... Like, this is going to scratch that itch for you so much. So I love it. 
Yeah, that's one of my favorite techniques as a DM or just a storyteller in general is you give the players or the audience something they should be afraid of yeah. and then something <laughs> that thing is afraid exactly. of. Exactly, and so it's uh, oh, it's so, it's so good. So anyway, the it's very good picture, adventure. The little picture on page 217 is just very horrifying. Oh, yeah, that's that. I don't like that. Yeah. It's like a... It's like, it's like an arm coming arm. out of a bag. <laughs> yeah, just there are multiple arms coming out of bags in this book, and I don't <laughs> like any of them. <laughs> and that's a very long arm and a very small bag. Yeah, that doesn't uh. fit in that. Oh, yeah. Then there's like a, you get a classic like Victorian looking ghost lady with an umbrella. And it's oh, so many good tropes here. So, but, so that's, we get, now we're at the, the we're at the final, uh, we're at the final section of this book. All right, it's monster time. Okay, all of these monsters are absolutely horrendous, all right? They made them terrifying and disgusting. It's bad, all right? So I'm just, like, letting people know. It's, oh, there's, I don't like bugs, and there's a swarm of maggots in here, and it's just, the picture yeah, I is not past that page. Yeah, it's yeah. I I did. I <laughs> literally did it. the same thing. I was not <laughs> cool with it. So, but what I want to do is is some cool monsters. That's kind of it for this chapter. Uh, so what? But I wanted to ask you all if you all what your favorite monster was. So, uh, Lisa, did you have what's your favorite monster here? I picked the carrionette. Okay. Um, because I feel like it touches on a number of fears that people have, like creepy dolls slash kind of looks like a clown sort of things, and needles. And it's got both of those. And it basically does one thing, and it's super creepy. It pokes people with needles to curse them. And then once you're cursed, it swips your switches your consciousness with theirs. So they take over your body and nobody knows because you are basically unconscious for an hour until you wake up into doll's body. This is this is terrifying. That's, that is nightmare fuel. But I feel like uh oh, there's a lot of fun things that a DM and the, actually the whole party uh can do with that between player knowledge and character knowledge, oh, right? Man. Yeah, it's 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 ter- it's terrible. Did you? I, I want to ask. Did do have any of you all ever listened to? I love audio fiction podcasts. Have any of you guys ever listened to the Magnus Archives at all? Oh, uh, if you like, if not. you like really creepy podcasts, like like it's so good, and it t- deals a lot with creepy dolls and mannequins and whatnot. And I was just getting some. This yeah, this gives me really bad vibes. So. <laughs> It's is very that's a good choice. I'm gonna flip so. away from this page now. Yeah. Okay. So all right. So my favorite monster. Okay. I typically like to run very scary, kind of serious um games. Like that's what I really like. Alright, but I saw the Necrocore. Alright. It it is the most comical looking monster, and I don't think they purposely did it, but for me, it's hilarious. The whole concept. Alright. Of a, like some sort of like, it's like a failed lich. All right, it is a <laughs> lich who has failed and is now in a like a goo jar. Okay, and they're terrible. All right, this is like so. I like creating NPCs that can travel with my players but don't have to do anything. So in our current in our current 
in our current Ghost of Saltmarsh game, I've created this NPC that is literally just kind of like a proxy for myself in the game, and its name is Skeleton Tom. And they, my players took this as like, and they just ran with it. And it is literally, it's a skeleton head that is in a cage that one of the characters carries on his belt. All right. And he's completely useless. He claims that he's a wizard, but he doesn't know anything about magic. But, and that's what I'm like getting, like, I, that's what I like about the Necrocore. It's like NPC in a jar that you can give a player that is absolutely just useless. Like it is. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a challenge rating seven, but they really can't do anything while they're in this, while they're in this thing, except they do have this one super cool ability called blood puppeteering. Okay. Yeah, where mm-hmm. they that's all they can just, do. They can't do much. They can take over your body. I know, but think about it. This is there's so many great opportunities to use this character. Like you could do like a whole like you could do like a whole Abbott and Costello vibe, or one of them. Like it, you could do like some you can do some Venom stuff. Like it is like I love. I just I I like it. Like I love the whole idea of like this very evil creature who is. So not intimidating because he's trapped in a jar and he's got this scary face with this very high pitched, very like comical <laughs> voice. I just, I love that. I love that trope so much. And I, I just, I, this creature is literally going in my game. So I love it so much. Uh, so Necker just got dragged I, all across yes. the podcast. But, <laughs> I know, but it's so funny because I love it, but probably for the wrong reasons that they made it. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Uh, Michael, what about yourself? All right. I went with the boneless. So creepy. The boneless is living skin. It's basically if you take a zombie but you remove the skeleton and just leave the skin intact and it like wet slap flops around. And the just, I love that just describing how it will move around and like attack you. It can squeeze through an opening as small as one inch. And I also like the idea that it could just be a twofer situation where an, uh, a necromancer raises a, a zombie and then just like pulls the skeleton out. So now that has two undead servants. I just think that's funny. Uh, but my favorite thing is that basically the way it attacks is it does it surrounds you, and while the boneless is attached, the creature is blinded and cannot breathe. So in addition to like taking damage every turn, you're suffocating it. It's blind. So you have, to Tom's point, you have the comedic element where you could have someone running face first into doorways uh, because it's on there. But at the same time, it's really scary because it's killing you, <laughs> and it's not in the rules. And this is a huge mistake. But if I put this in my game, and it will be in my game, whoever is encased in the boneless will take half damage from any damage dealt to it because it's around your head. And if I hit it with a stick, I'm also hitting you with a stick. So, what Wizards of the Coast, you need to, get, need to change that because that absolutely should be something that happens and it will be in my games. Okay. So, as you're trying to fight this, you're also killing the victim at the same time. Oh my gosh. But just from the description of the wet slop flap sound as it moves mm-hmm. through rooms is golden and it's a level one challenge writing which means you can not you don't have to wait till your character's 15th level for you use it you can use it session one i love it my favorite chef's kiss that's a level one like i looked at it's that a level art. one that art makes it that's like a, the art is like that's like a that's like a cr6 art okay like there's so much nope in this whole chapter <laughs> like just like you're flipping through i'm like yeah not that i don't like that at all and so like yeah. oh 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 also I just uh, let's just give a quick shout out to a new challenge rating 
21 greater star spawn emissary like i mean who's going to use that in their game but it's always cool to just have another <laughs> cr21 well, and it's even worse to clarify because to defeat the star spawn you have to beat both of its forms and it has a lesser form, which is a challenge rating 19, that you have to defeat. It then reemerges, awakens as the challenge level 21, which you must then defeat again to destroy it. So it's not like it's just a 21. It's a 19 oh. and right. a 21. Well, never mind. As a dungeon master, that sounds like too much work. So, <laughs> so okay. I but, turned the page and saw swarms again, so now I'm yeah, upset. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> skip it. All right, skip it. Okay, so, uh, yeah, no, that's kind of... We we kind of all we we did we covered it. it. All right, that's that's the book right there. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff there. But so as we move into our this is our Lisa. This is this is where we we wrap. We're gonna wrap this thing up. All right, but what we want to do is we're gonna rate this. Okay, so this is and also this is our chance to do a little bit more, uh, just some group discussion, some final thoughts. All right, so what I'll do then is just I'll I'll go ahead and start us off for art and layout. All right. So, and I'm going to give this, all right, I'm going to tell you all this, all of my stuff is going to be super biased here, all right, because I, I feel like I was way too hard in the last review we did, <laughs> so I've got to balance things out, all right, because I'm typically a positive person, and this to me is A+, plus, okay, all right, because art is great, but I love good layout, okay, I love when information is presented to me in a crisp, clear manner, and so I'm I just gotta give it. I gotta give it an A plus. All right, that's that's what my rating is. All right, Elisa, what about yourself? What are you thinking? I also think that the art and layout for this book are amazing. I'm going to give it an A. Okay. Had it had more Van Richten notes somehow uh, incorporated, it would have gotten that plus. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I well, will give it an A. Okay. A means that no, I don't think you understand. I love this so much. Oh, all that's right? accurate. So, yeah, that's okay. accurate. Yeah, yeah. So I totally agree there too. If honestly, like that is actually one of my complaints. I would have like all of like the Volos guy, Tasha's, they all included little notes throughout. And this one doesn't. So I was a little bit confused about that. It's probably this book is packed full of content. So I'm sure it's like what you said earlier that when something had to get cut, those probably got cut. So disappointing. But that's another DM's Guild supplement, just like a book of letters. Super good. Like, I mean, we all know Dra Dracula. Have you read Dracula? Is just a book of letters. So just do that, but with Van Richten. Okay. All right. So, uh, Michael, what about yourself? Uh, I'm going to give it an A as well. I really, really enjoyed it. I like the art. It's great throughout. Uh, again, I don't have a, a layout top of mind, but it worked for me. Uh, I do like a lot of the, the aspects of the book. I just thought, yeah, solid, solid A for me. And then I also want to ask, too, about the oh, yeah, alt cover. We always mention that up. Uh, any thoughts on alt cover versus regular cover, Lisa? I, um, I've, so when they started releasing the alt covers, it bothered me that they didn't, like, the spines no longer matched on my <laughs> yeah. bookshelf. But now I've moved to, on my bookshelf, keeping all only alt covers, so that none of them match, so it's okay. And I really like, um, I really like the artist that they chose, and I like that the alt cover is slightly shiny. Like, I don't think seeing it on the interwebs does it justice. You kind of have to see it in person. So that's what I would say is that when I saw the image of the alt cover, my first thought was, yeah, this, this does not work for me at all. Now that I have the book, I love this alt cover. It's 
awesome. I really, really like it. Like again, it's not really, but it's almost like it's lenticular, like just a little bit, like the the uh, the lantern yeah. that she's holding sort of looks like it's sort of glowing a little bit. And the purple, which seems really weird on the image, works for me. I love this alt cover so much. Yeah, I've, I've heard you. I've heard you say that now a couple times, Michael. So. Yeah. So Tom doesn't have this because he gets the uh, the yeah, regular we split version. Them. So basically, yeah. Uh, so Wizards doesn't send us both of set. We get one set, and I send Tom his copy. So I keep the alt covers. He gets the regular cover. So he's only seen the image of it. But I tell you, Tom, it's amazing. Which is I love actually, it. I am. Uh, I am a bindings much much must match type of person. So okay. I have. I have never. I. I I, 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 so I get it, Lisa, uh, uh, but now that all, they're all different. So you've kind of like, you, you, you finally, you, you went for it, um, you know, more power to you. I just don't have that. I, I can't do it. I'm not as strong as you. All right. So, all right. So, uh, Michael, let's talk about crunch then. Uh, what'd you think about crunch? I like it. I like it quite a lot. And, and for me, I'm classifying crunch also in what I'm considering the DM like guide yeah. aspects mm-hmm. on how it teaches you to build domains. It teaches you how to build a Dark Lord. It teaches you how to run a horror game. It also talks about the safety tools and building consent. And I think all of that's great. And then in addition, you have the player options, the new backgrounds, the trinkets. To me, this is a solid A. I think this book is great. Yeah. Um, for for me, for Crunch, I'm going to give it a, I'll give it an, I'll give it an A minus. The only reason I, I I'm I mean I say the only reason like a, a is just because I don't like I don't know I just didn't I didn't feel like there was a whole lot of uh, I guess I, I I wanted more from like like i wanted more warlock i don't know like it's just like there's like it's so it, it's, it's an a minus because the stress it's so, isn't it's, there. yeah it's, that too yeah. it's just I, I don't know if i got a whole lot of crunch i see what you're saying though how it gives dms tips and if you count that towards that it's 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 there but i i like this book for this different reasons the story reasons and whatnot so this to me i'll give it an a minus which is i love this so anyway all right so lisa what about yourself a minus feels okay. right um, I totally, I agree that if I were including the, um, like the, the lists of questions and the, I mean, really it's a guide to how to be a good storyteller yeah. as a DM, not even just in horror. If I were including that, it would probably be higher. But when I think of crunch, I think of more like mechanics and player options. And I wish there were even more monsters, uh, yeah. honestly, as, as more things to hate. Yeah. Also, there's no magic items. Which I, I I get magic items they typically get included in the um I don't know no typically I guess the other campaign settings have included uh magic items I would have liked to see I, I'm a sucker for a bunch of magic items those would have been cool to have some monster slaying tools that would have been sweet but I guess it's just more DM skilled supplements you know so all right so uh anyway so let's talk about fluff fluff is the story it is the uh, did this does this book make you excited to excited to run something in Ravenloft. So Lisa, we'll start with you this time. For fluff, I feel like it's like off the scales. Yeah. Triple A plus plus million. <laughs> Triple A yeah. plus plus million. Add that to the chart. Um it's just it's everything is so inspiring. You can do stories that aren't in Ravenloft at all, but ev- all the tools are there to build your own campaign and it makes you want to. Because yes. everything's so cool. 
Yeah, I agree. Like, if we're ranking this off the chart, this is definitely getting, like, three Michelin stars. Like, it is, like, this, to me, I've said this before. To me, a good book is a book that I enjoy reading. Like, where it's not just, like, I'm reading rules or, like, I got to read this for my game. But it's one where I'm, like, sitting down just because, oh, I want to read this. And this was, and I've seen the other games that have been like that for me have been basically, I mean, I mean, I've said this, like, the like I'm putting this up there with Forbidden Lands for me, for, like, books that, like, I'm opening up and I just enjoy reading. Because I think for me it's always been like this, I've had this, like, real strong, like, I wanted to know more about Ravenloft, but I didn't feel like I had any, I didn't know where to go. I never knew anybody else who really played Ravenloft. I, I just had Curse of Strahd. So for this, this was just like, it opened so much stuff up. Like Ravenloft feels like really big now. So I, I just, I love it so much. A plus. Michael, what about you? A plus. I think it's great. Okay. Again, you've, you've said it all. It's just every page. There's either an image. There's something that inspiring, evocative. I couldn't ask for more. Okay. Uh, fantastic. I think now, like, we, we always like to do, even though we kind of all know, like, we like to do overall rating just because every, everybody likes these for whatever reason. So I'll just go first, you know. Well, and some sometimes we have things where we have C's okay. and A's, and you know, but in this so, case, they're all pretty much together. Book. Yeah. But yes, but still, we like to do overall. It writing. really is such a good book. All right, I'll just break the ice. I'm, of course, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, not burying the lead here. It's getting an A plus, like for me. Like Lisa said, it's just a good, just a good book. It's so refreshing. I, I love it so much. No, so A plus for sure. A plus. So uh, the way I'm gonna say this is retroactively, this makes me less like the Eberron book less. Eberron is my favorite setting. I gave Eberron an A++++ because I love Eberron so much. I wanted it in 5th edition. But this book makes me want to go back and go, this this is a better version of what the Eberron book could have yeah. been. I am so impressed with this. And this, this to me, is the new high bar yeah. of the 5th edition source book. So just more of this, please. Yeah, I would love to see like more campaign settings, like new campaigns, it's just everything. But like with this kind of format, it's just so good. Crisp, clean art direction across the board. Good formatting. Good story. Ah, so good. So I, I think that's that's it. I mean, we, we covered it. We love the book. Uh, it's, it's good. Definitely check it out. Lisa, any final words about this book at all? I just, I am such a lover of the Ravenloft setting, and this was everything that I wanted them to give me. So I'm just very grateful for that. That makes me feel better about liking the book because as some like you're such a big fan and know so much about it, and for like to have you say like, "Oh, this is," hey folks, this is good. So like, it makes me feel better about my decisions to like the book. Okay, uh, no, so uh, anyway, no, that 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 that's it. So let's wrap right. this up. It's, it's done. It's let's, in the books. We've done it. Congratulations. Let's wrap people. this up with some social media plugs. Okay. Yeah. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us. Super nice to get to hang out with you. I loved having you on the show, but where can people find you if they want to interact with you on the internet, find your other work? Yeah, I keep it easy. I am pretty much everywhere at Lisa Penrose. So Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Twitch, all the places at Lisa Penrose. Nice. Tom, where can people find uh, you? As always, you can follow me at Tom on Twitter. That is Mandalorian Metal Tom. 
on Twitter. And then also you catch me on RPG Academy's Twitch, Show and Tell, and wherever else our podcast is now, Michael. I don't know. You do that stuff. Okay. Yeah. All right. YouTube do it. Okay. Yeah. And I am Michael. Everything I do can be found at the RPG Academy, except for my Smallville Rewatch rewatch fan cast called Farm to Fable. We are just getting ready to hit season three. So if you like the Smallville TV show, please check that out. And also I'm running Shadow Spawns, which is our live stream 13th age game, which does have some elements straight out of this book before I even read it. So if there's anything about this book that you think is interesting, then maybe you would enjoy Shadow Spawns because it's definitely Ravenloft-ish. Okay. Uh, you can find those every other Tuesday on our Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv slash the RPG Academy. And uh, we're going to sign off here, but we're going to say what we always like to say here at the RPG Academy, it's been our motto for nine plus years. If you're having fun, you're doing it right. You're doing it right. Thank you and good night. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast. We do this show out of love for the hobby and the desire to be ambassadors, welcoming more people into this community. All of our website content will always be free to use and utilize, but there are expenses related to the show. And if you enjoy what we do here, then please consider supporting us in some way. You can do so as simply as rating or reviewing us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. If you're going to purchase anything through Amazon or DriveThruRPG, consider using our affiliate links first, and then we'll get a small percentage sent back to us. You can do a single direct donation through PayPal using the paypal.me slash the RPG Academy. Or consider joining our Patreon campaign at patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for a donation as low as $1 a month, you'll get access to lots of extra goodies, including bonus minisodes, invites to monthly one-shot games, one-sheet adventures, and more. Please consider following us on Twitter and Facebook, or join our Discord, where we like to try to keep the conversation going with our fans as best we can, and are always looking to talk and chat more. Or do none of that. Just continue to listen and enjoy our show. Because honestly, that's enough. Thanks. And remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. We'll see you next time. The music used for our intro and outro is Fly a Kite by Spectacular Sound Productions, used under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike License.